You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, but we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. Labor's rights in the United States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio. And it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear. Dear friends, welcome to the Labor Radio Podcast Network series, highlighting the work of our members. The growing network of over 70 shows in four countries serves as a one-stop shop for audiences looking for labor content and as a resource for labor broadcasters, podcasters, and content producers. My name is Evan Papp, and I produce Empathy Media Lab's podcast on labor, political economy, arts, and culture. And we're a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Today, I'm speaking with Jacob Morrison of the Valley Labor Report, which is Alabama's only union talk radio show. So, Jacob, tell me a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and what led you to organize labor. Yeah, so uh, my name is Jacob Morrison. Like you said, I am a native Alabamian, born and raised, always been within 40 minutes of Huntsville my whole life. And, um, you know, I grew up like a lot of folks around uh, in, in, in rural Alabama. I grew up, um, you know, going to church every Sunday, um, having, having those kind of values instilled in me. Um, and uh, in, for, <laughs> for better and for worse, as it turns out. And, um, you know, so uh, that what brought me to organize labor, uh, to, to the labor movement was kind of a, um, it was kind of, kind of a windy path, you know, like I said, I grew up in, 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 in very similar, in a very similar situation to a lot of folks here. And, and so I was conservative for, um, for my entire childhood. I was fairly apolitical, but if you had pushed me, I would have said that I was conservative. And so that generally meant anti-union, um, although that wasn't stressed a lot. And But uh, uh, in 2016, I, I wanted to vote. That was going to be the first time that I could vote in a presidential election. And I knew that I didn't know a whole lot. I knew that I was conservative, but I, I knew that my, you know, actual grasp on the issues was not not very uh, not very strong. And so I wanted to do to start doing, um, you know, I wanted to learn more about that and uh, learn more about the way the world works, how to make it better. And I gradually began moving leftward. I involved myself in kind of party politics with the Democratic Party for a number of years. And what, what brought me to the labor movement was dissatisfaction with the prospects for positive change in Alabama from electoral politics. Um, I just didn't see the Democratic Party as a, a great avenue for changing people's lives. 
I didn't see, um, I, I just didn't see organizing with the Democratic Party as, as a great avenue for uh, moving forward, moving Alabama forward. And the labor movement that I, I started looking for other ways to help people because that was kind of what motivated me was that, you know, I grew up fairly well off. I never had to worry about health care. I never had to worry about whether or not I would uh, be able to afford to go to college, right? That was never in question for me. And so I wanted, I, I believe that everybody else should have those things. I believe that everybody should have good wages, good health care, time off from work, a safe working environment and things like that. And so with uh, my dissatisfaction with the electoral uh, politics, I started looking for other avenues. And the labor movement really called out to me because this was directly impacting people's lives. People who are members of unions, who have collective bargaining agreements, they have higher wages, they have better working conditions, they have more of a say on the job, and they don't have to rely on anybody. They don't have to rely on anybody but themselves. They don't have to wait for uh, an election to pull a lever for a politician. They just have to believe in themselves and their sisters and brothers on the job. And that's really inspiring to me. Um, and so I, I felt like that, uh, that, the, that organizing people in their workplace is a much more efficient and uh, a better use of my time for making people's lives better. And then of course, you know, there are some knock-on effects. Like I have, we did an interview with uh, Jake Grumbach. He's a University of Washington researcher about how union membership decreases racial resentment among white members. Um, there are, there was a study that recently came out about Act 10 in Wisconsin, how following that, there, was, there arose a gender pay gap among teachers in Wisconsin where none existed before. Why did none exist before? Because of unions. Um, you know, so like uh, there, there are great knock on effects for society for attacking racism, attacks, attacking sexism and all of these other things. In addition to just the bare bones, like people have higher wages and better working conditions. So all around, it just seemed like a better investment for my time. And so I, the more that I learned about it, the more passionate I became about it. So a lot of people haven't grown up around labor news and may not be interested or even aware of something called labor news. Uh, could you talk a little bit more, you've already mentioned it, but why you think unions and organized labor are, are important and why you created the show? I think that they're important, like I said, because they are the best, I believe that unions and the labor movement is the best way for people to make their lives better. And I believe that it is the, and I believe that getting involved in it is the best and most efficient way to help others make their lives better, to fight for your sisters and brothers on and off the job. I believe that that, that the labor movement represents the best and most efficient way for societal progress and uh, the best and most efficient way to fight against societal regression. And I believe that shows like ours are important uh, and other shows in the Labor Radio Podcast Network are important because there is a dearth of political education in this country. When I, uh, when I graduated high school, if you had asked me what a union is, I would not have been able to give you a coherent definition, despite the fact 
that I took AP US history. I, you know, even for the first couple of years in college, I wouldn't have been able to give you a coherent definition. And I, you know, I took all of the classes that you would think would give me a coherent definition, right? I took social studies, I took uh, sociology, I took, you know, uh, political theory, I took history, I took uh, multiple years of American history. And I couldn't give you a coherent definition of what union is, of what a union is, of what unionism is, of what the labor movement has done for people in America. There is just a, it is an indictment on our educational system and on our political punditry more broadly that there is so little knowledge in the general public about what unions are and what they can do for you. And so uh, that is our, that was our specific purpose. I'm a leftist. I come at the, I come at a lot of, of, of um, political issues from a left-wing perspective, but our, the reason that we started our show is not to be a leftist propaganda outlet. It's not to convince people to go and vote for Democrats in November. It is to educate them about what unions can do for them on and off the job uh, for themselves and for their communities. And, um, and, and I think, I hope that we're doing a good job. We chose a, actually we chose a conservative um, news talk station the largest news talk station in, in North Alabama, the same one that Sean Hannity first started on, actually. We chose that station because this is where workers in Alabama are coming. This is where, this is where a lot of workers in Alabama get their news. This is where they get their information. This is where they learn. And so we wanted to be able to be where workers are here in Alabama without them even having to turn the dial and to hear a different perspective about politics, yes, but more importantly, and uh, de we definitely spend more time not on politics, but on unions and unionism. And I think that it's having an effect because the other day we had a caller come in and a, a caller call in and identify himself as a Republican and say, you know, I don't like your Democrat talking points, but how do I start a union in my workplace? Tell me more about that. And that's the goal. That's, that was our explicit objective. Like, we don't like, you know, sure, fine. I think you should vote for Democrats in November. But more importantly, I want you to join a union. And, and so I, I think that we're having an impact. I hope we are. And that's why, that's, what, that's why we're doing what we're doing. And I know that's why so many other people in the network are doing what they're doing as well. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, growing up in the United States, growing up in the Reagan arena, as I like to call it, completely absent of union talk. My mom's grandfather or my mom's father was in the union um, in the steel mills in Cleveland. But I feel that there's a tremendous ignorance in this in this country uh, about unions and about what labor actually means and what class means. And there's a, a lack of class consciousness. And I think it's starting to come back because people are more and more of the people who were once uh, in a so-called middle class are, are losing it and are starting to ask questions. So can you talk a little bit about your format and, and when you launched the show and how you would approach 
um, advising others who may want to start their own show? Yeah, we, uh, the, the way that our show is formatted is it's a live show uh, every Saturday morning from 9.30 to 11 a.m. Central Time. And um, because we're actually on the radio, you know, it's not, it's not even, uh, it's not even like a live, just live online. Like we have, we have to make room for commercial breaks. We have to make room for advertisers um, and, and things like that. And so that is kind of constricting, but it does give us the ability to take calls and like, like have those conversations with people that disagree with us on a lot of issues, but that we can come together with um, on other issues on, on, um, what are, in my opinion, more important issues. And, 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 um, and so we really like that. Uh, and generally we have a guest on for the first 30 to 45 minutes to talk about, uh, something that affects workers in Alabama or more broadly. Um, we talked to rank and file union workers. One of our favorite interviews that we've ever done was with two union nurses in Pennsylvania one of them was uh, described himself as a Christian constitutionalist conservative, and the other uh, said he's an ultra liberal. But they're both the biggest advocates of unions and unionism that you're ever going to find. And it was just a it was just a beautiful outpouring of love and solidarity. Um, and uh, we you know we've talked to researchers about uh, about their the research that they've done on unions. Um, and we've, we've interviewed some politicians and uh, then for the rest of the show, we'll take calls or we'll talk about um, issues. We'll talk about legislation that affects working people and, or we'll just kind of talk about the dynamics of what it's like to be in a union doing this kind of foundational educational work because like they're like people just literally have no clue about what it's like to be in a union. Um, but but it, uh, what I would say to people that are interested in, in starting their own show is to really kind of think about why you're doing it. What is, what is your purpose? And make sure that you follow that. Um, because not every show has to be exactly like you know and think about think about your purpose and think about your audience you know there there is there are different needs and not everybody has to fill the same uh niche you know uh, i think that uh what um max alvarez does with the working people podcast is really really great he couldn't really do that on uh it, you know it's not the same thing as what we're doing um, I think that what uh, Liz Medina is doing with the On Mass podcast is really good stuff. I think what Sam Cedar does with the Majority Report is really good stuff, but it's all different. So think about your purpose, think about your audience, and make sure that you do that. Um, and you know, think think about if, if you're going to be on the radio, how are you going to get funding for it? You need to, um, you know, hopefully people that are wanting to do this kind of educational work are grounded in their community and they have contacts like David and I do in the labor movement and in, um, you know, the progressive uh, movement that, that we're able to call on for, for support like this. Um, you know, I think it's important that people that are doing, that are trying, that are ostensibly, you know, you're presenting yourself like we present ourselves as experts of a sort, um, you know, at least expert enough that we can educate people on it. 
we should have a real grounding in the movement. We shouldn't be some, you know, people that nobody's ever heard of, right? You know, um, I, I think that's important, at least people locally. Um, so, so I think that's what, that's what I would recommend is to really think about, uh, you know, what you want to do, who your audience is and, and go for that. And you have great dynamic with your co-host as well, because you you come from different backgrounds, different ages, and uh, it, it's a great yeah, dialogue. Old. Yeah, that... he's old. He's... <laughs> <laughs> but David is really interesting because, you know, you mentioned that we come from a different background, but it's not as different as you would think. He grew up rural Alabama. He was born and raised in rural Alabama, probably even more rural than I was. But he's a fourth generation union member here in Alabama. His grandmother was the president of a textile workers union and led, uh, and led her local in the textile strike during the Great Depression. And so it's really interesting because there is no history of unionism in my rural Alabama, my rural white Alabama family. But his rural white Alabama family is drenched with a rich history of labor activism and um and and so he brings he brings so much uh knowledge from from his from his family's history of activism but also his own like you know i kid him all the time about being old uh and he's not actually that old you know he's like 40 something <laughs> but but he's been in the labor movement for 20 something years He's the president of his local. He's the secretary treasurer of the state council of machinists. He has a lot of institutional knowledge that I, as a 20 something uh, year old, just simply does not, I don't have. And so, you know, I, you know, you mentioned our dynamic and I love uh, being able to have him there um, with that kind of institutional knowledge. I, I you know, I, uh, he says that I, I bring the fire and, and he'll bring the books or, you know, something like that. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm really, really thankful to have somebody like him uh, doing this project with me. Well, and I think how you met, uh, if I recall the one of your shows where he's, he's talking about how he first met you and you were calling him out <laughs> on stage at, at a, an organizing meeting. And I'm not sure exactly what the context was. And yeah, instead so of him what, taking offense, he's like, I need to work with this guy. Yeah, yeah. He's, he, he definitely, and that's something that he does that, that a lot of, uh, you know, folks that have been in the, in the labor movement longer, uh, I, I think should get better at, is to welcome this kind of, welcome a kind of idealistic, uh, passion that young people have and bring them in and, and kind of disciple them and, and, and bring them up in, 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 in the movement instead of turning up their nose at them for their idealistic passion. Um, but but the, uh, what, what had happened was in 2018, the Alabama AFL-CIO endorsed um, a family friend of mine for state rep. He was the incumbent. There was nobody running against him. He's a Republican. But I know that he, I know him. I know he's very conservative. And so I'm like, what? What is this? Why are, why are y'all endorsing this guy? And, and I, I messaged him. I was like, okay, maybe he's conservative on these social issues, but maybe he's like super pro labor. So I texted him and I'm like, hey, are you for right to work? And he said yes. And I'm like, what is this? What are you doing? 
And so I messaged the Alabama AFL-CIO page, like, all been out of shape. Like, why are you endorsing this guy? And, and David was the one running it. And he, you know, he, he kind of calmed me down a little bit. He was like, you know, look, there was no, nobody else in the race. We just wanted to be able to, you know, if we say we endorse him, we can get in the door. And then, you know, it, it makes it easier to have conversations with him, especially when there's no opponent, blah, 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 blah. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was really funny because I was, I was giving him hell. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I just even talking about right to work, I think we have to change the language because even the, the con like the, the framing of right to work for people who don't know about it, mm-hmm. think, okay, of course we should have a right to work. And then it's actually, uh, well, it's, it's a anti-union, uh, policy. Yeah, the framing around the way that they named it is just amazing because it literally has nothing to do with your right to work. And we had a we had, um, you know, speaking of interviews, we had a long interview about just that with Daniel Harris. Uh, the he is the um, the opinions editor for uh, the University of Chicago's political review. He wrote an article uh, in U Chicago Gate called "Right to Work Must Die," um, you know, explaining what right to work is, the conservative, um, the conservative attack on organized labor, and how right to work has played into that, and 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 all of all of those things. Um, but it, it it you know, like everything else, no one knows what it. I've even talked to people in the labor movement who still they confuse right to work with at will employment which these are two completely different things and these are like labor movement folks these are elected officers in the labor movement they don't know what right to work is and it's like you know there's just so little education and, and just quickly what it is for maybe people that are listening that, that don't know is it's the government coming in to a private negotiation between the employer and the employees the union and saying you cannot have a clause in your contract that says people who are represented by this union have to pay a fee for the representation. It's the government stepping in, it's these small government people telling the government to step in and tell two private institutions what they can and cannot agree to in a contract. It's so antithetical to everything this anti-government movement is about ostensibly, and yet because it hurts working people, they're fine with it. Well, that is uh, very well well said. And before moving on to uh, talking a little bit more about the network, being a so-called northerner, you know, we obviously grow up with this myth that you know the South is this um it's full of racism and in the north there you know is the free people but obviously you start pulling back the first smallest surface and you start seeing major segregation and exploitation and repression you know beginning from the very beginning of of the northern migration after the civil war uh but i am i am kind of curious in alabama between race and class and if you could just maybe mention a little bit about what the makeup is in a lot of the unions in Alabama or if you know Alabama as I presume is is probably not the most pro-union state so um well funnily enough Alabama has the highest union density rate in the southeast um and actually in the 40s we had the highest union density rate in the country 
Um, so there is a history, even though the people in power don't want us to know about it. There is a history of, of um, unionism and, and union density being really high here in Alabama. Uh, but, but as far as the racial dimension of, of the, the labor movement in Alabama, it's going to differ from union to union. In my union, the biggest thing that I have found is that racism uh, uh, definitely plays a role, pro maybe more in my union than in others because I'm in a public sector union. And so uh, the public sector has traditionally employed more people of color than the private sector or, or, or the, the demographic makeup. You know, there's, there's more people of color as a percentage of the workforce than in other places. And um, so the union is kind of, uh, depending on where you work, where I work, it's never been explicit. Um, I've heard, hor uh, you know, I've, I've heard horror stories about it being explicit, but, but at least implicitly, the union is for the black man. You know, I'm routinely the only white person that shows up to union meetings. I'm routinely the only person that, that goes to union events. And um, that's really unfortunate. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, if I had to, uh, you know, as a white person kind of prognosticate about why that is, I, I think that, that, that um, you know, white people are generally, we are, um, we, we're not encouraged to rely on others or to fight for others as much. And we kind of think, well, if I get mine, then that's fine. Um, or a zero-sum game where right. a lot of people right. convince like, oh, they're getting something, so that's taking away from me instead of a harmony right. of interest. And right, so. right. And so, uh, uh, you know, and it's going to be different in different unions, but uh, David is in a private sector union, and, and, he, uh, and, and he's reported a similar thing. You know, obviously, his, uh, the situation is a lot different, but people of color show up more in his union. Uh, you know, it's, it's not the same. There's, there are more white people in his union than there are in my union. Um, but but uh, the, the people of color in his union still, they show up more than the white folks do. Um, and so that, that's kind of it, the, the interesting thing that I've noticed, uh, at least in my union and in David's union. I've got, I'm getting more of a grasp on uh, the labor movement more broadly in Alabama. I think there's definitely... Uh, so, uh, you know, in, in some other unions and so in the Federation, there may be a, a sort of a, a good old boy system. Um, and, and so that, you know, that, that is, that is kind of unfortunate. And, you know, I think that the labor movement, we've got a long way to go in, in combating some of the ways that we perpetuate uh, racism in our own institutions and fighting them in the institutions that we fight against. Uh, but, I still think that the labor movement is the best, it, it is one of the best movements for um, racial solidarity and building, um, building bridges across like a racial divide. Um, like one of the inter interviews that I alluded to earlier with uh, Jake Grumbach from the University of Washington, he showed that over time union membership really decreases racial resentment among white members and it and it gives them a more um 
a more positive view of their brothers and sisters of color, which makes sense, you know, because if you, uh, you know, if you have to spend time with, like, if you're just a coworker, the relationship between a union member, brothers and sisters, and coworkers is radically different. Because if you're in a union with somebody, you're not only just working with them, you're having conversations with them outside of work, and you're having personal conversations, conversations about, um, are we going to go on strike? Do we have enough money to go on strike? How, uh, you know, how are you with your health care coverage? You know, are you like, do you feel comfortable with the amount of health care coverage that you get? How are we going to retire? These are really personal conversations. And when you have these conversations, they tend to humanize people. And, and that's something that, that, that we found in the, uh, in the interview with those two union nurses from Pennsylvania. The conservative said that I never realized liberals were so human. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, it, so, so I think that even dis it, despite its flaws, you know, of which there are definitely some, I, I definitely see the labor movement as a beacon of hope. Um, and, and I hope that we, uh, I hope that we begin to kind of lead the charge on some of these racial justice issues in the future. And the more I learn about labor history, much of the labor movement was completely stunted because of racism. Instead of uniting all the workers, you start creating these factions of this zero-sum game that, oh, they're going to take away from, from me. And it, it's a race to the bottom in, in that level. So it, it's, it's all about the solidarity. And um, I really appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you for, for answering that. So moving on to talk a little bit about the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Uh, you're a program's uh, member, and uh, as a member, could you talk a little bit about how you heard about it and why you think this network is important? Um, I, uh, you know, I can't remember how exactly I heard about it. I think somebody from the network reached out to us and asked us if we wanted to be a part, and uh, we're always willing to be a part of an effort to uh, increase education uh, um, about the, uh, about the labor movement, about unions and, and the, the issues that working people face. Um, I, think, I think it's really cool because uh, I, I think that it's good because of the reason that we started our show. I think that there is a dearth of education about what unions can do for people and what the labor movement can do for people and the issues that working people face. And so I think that any effort to increase awareness about what unions can do for people is good. And I think that any effort to bring together people that are already doing that is good. And so I, I really value being able to be connected with so many people who are doing uh, similar work to me uh, in different parts of the country and all over the world. Um, and I really enjoy getting to hear their perspectives uh, during our weekly meetings and uh, when, I, when I have the time to listen to their shows. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I'm just humbled by the tremendous amount of talent and experience. And I'm, I'm learning so much just listening to the shows and during the weekly meetings. So I, same way. And so I guess in closing, looking into the future of organized labor, where do you see opportunity and hope? Um, I see opportunity and hope in the in the recent unrest that we have been seeing uh, since 2018, 20, 2017, with the teacher strikes, uh, with all of these other uh, successful strikes 
Um, because as I read history, uh, union upsurges have always come during times of unrest in the lives of working people. Um, there were always lots more strikes, whether they were or were not sanctioned by unions. And so I think that the teacher strikes, I think that the strike that the machinist union had in Maine uh, at the ship at, at um, Bath Ironworks, I think that um, some of the walkouts that we've seen at Amazon, I think these displays of working class militancy, especially where they are successful, can be um, sort of a propaganda of the deed kind of thing. Like, like uh, that, that, was, that was something that, uh, that anarchists used to, used to use uh, back in the day. Like if you can show something is successful, then people will replicate it. And so I hope that seeing this successful working class militancy will encourage and inspire other working people across the country and across the world to engage in this militancy and engage in the class struggle and realize that we are in a class war that the only option is to fight in it. We are not the ones that started the class war but we have to fight in it. And so I hope that the increasing class consciousness of working people in America um, can be, uh, I, I hope that those of us in the labor movement are able to tap into that angst and frustration with the way that people are being treated by our system and uh, turn it into a positive force um, for working people and, and, and turn that into increased union membership and increased uh, militancy within the labor movement as it exists already. That's where I see hope. You better listen, my brother, because if you do, you can hear their voices still calling from across the years. And they're crying across the ocean, they're crying across the land, and they will until we all come to understand. None of us are free, none of us are free. right we got to feel for each other let our brothers know we're here got to get the message send it out all loud and clear none of us are free 